Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, we're here. This is John Katsimatidis, Rita Cosby on my side. In the studio, Judge Richard Weinberg and Craig Eaton. And a day we never thought would come uh, today, uh, Charlie Munger, uh, Warren Buffett's partner, 99 years old, passed away. Sharp uh, as a tack. I mean, uh, what a great life. Yes. I mean, yeah. as a matter of fact, there was a reporter from CNBC there. A friend of mine wrote me, uh, and he says, uh, a CNBC journalist was just at his house in Los Angeles two weeks ago. And he was signing a new book coming out in December. Wow. And he was sharp as a tack. <laughs> what a life. And then the family, he says the family was planning a 100th birthday party in five weeks. Wow. So, I mean, what happened? I'm sure that he's got doctors checking him every day. I mean, if I was worth a uh, uh, $100 billion or whatever the number is. That's a pretty good uh, number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good living begins at $100 billion. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. You know it what, 99? Sure I'll sign on for that right now, 99. Yes, yeah. Hands yeah. down. What, what David Rockefeller did uh, in his home... He he went, I think, to 104, David Rockefeller? He went high. I went, I'm went. i going to take a look, but he was high up there, and, yeah. Uh, he had an in-house doctor. Doesn't matter. When you're Doesn't worth matter, $100 yeah. billion, uh, you do what you have to do. He My mother a, lived to 104, and she did not have $100 billion, believe okay, me. Okay. You, <laughs> you, you have good genes. <laughs> Judge, you have good genes. But um, uh, it's uh, uh, a doctor, you know, take your, your blood pressure three times a day and take your... Uh, Yep. All your yep. tests three times a day and, and your heart rhythms three times a day. And By the way, David Rockefeller lived to 101. That's 101. a good life. That's a good life. That's yeah. a good life. That, by the way, speaking of TV, you talked about CNBC. I was watching you on Fox uh, today and you were really uh, – I just thought – John, you were talking so forcefully about such an important issue, crime that's affecting businesses. It's out of control in New York. It's out of control in most of our big cities. And uh, I don't know what the heck we're going to do. Yeah. I mean, we had Bill Bratton talking about it yesterday. I was talking about it on Fox uh, uh, Business today. Uh, and we'll tweet out the uh, interview on WABC. Listen to WABC or look at WABC Twitter. Uh, and... Um, you know, they learned a name today, Rocky Calavito. <laughs> I was talking about a Rocky Calavito bat. That's, they were like, where's that? <laughs> uh, shoplifters that come to Gristides, we have Rocky Calavito bats. When they see the Rocky Calavito bat, it's only six feet big. Yeah, uh, but it has we a 10 We never hit anybody, message. but uh, <laughs> it worked. the fear of getting hit. Well, they leave. The fear of repercussions is what they need, and especially with some of these protests. Craig, you but said this, it took a while to get I, to I, here today. It took me an extra 20 minutes to drive in. There was a protest by the U.N., the police all over the place, lights on. I mean, it was crazy. They're talking about doing a protest, crazy. the lighting of the Christmas tree. I, this what, is crazy. What, 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 uh, uh, who's our uh, Stuart Varney? Hmm. What he was shocked about was the fact that uh, 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 the reason the rests are down. And people don't realize it. The politicians go around, oh, arrests are down. You know why they're arrested down? Because the cops aren't making arrests. The police officers are not making arrests. The few that are there still, John, because so many of them are leaving. And can you blame them in this environment? Well, they've, but they've changed the laws now. Police officers are, you know, are 
exposing themselves to lawsuits now if they do anything. The New York City Council killed the qualified immunity. So so there's no qualified immunity. So if you're a police officer, you do something wrong, you're open to a lawsuit. So you know what they're saying? Plus, we arrest people. They go through the system. In five seconds, they're out, and they're back on the street committing the same crime. Even if you assault a police officer, that's the thing. Remember the video recently where they were assaulting the police officer, and they got out. They were multiple offenders. Okay, that was on the judge. In in fairness. I don't care who's it on. It's on bad taste. It's on bad decisions. Of course. Listen, you have a combination. You have some weak judges. But you have an awful state legislature who've enabled the criminal class. There's a lot of layers to your point, exactly. Judge. You know, but but all of them have to work and care about the communities. You can't have a crack in any of them. But you know Absolutely. what a big problem is too. You know, the criminals aren't afraid of the police officers, and our, the children aren't afraid of police officers today. When I was a kid, when I saw a police officer, I was afraid of him. You know what I'm saying? I I, yeah. I respected him, but I, you know, I stayed away. Today, they have no respect. They see their parents have no respect for police. So they can do whatever they want. So, and we were talking about truants yesterday, John, uh, where we said, who is 40% it? It? are truants. 40% right. of the kids in the, poli- in the public school system are truants today. And that's our future. Yeah. Well, speaking of respect, uh, they don't even respect teachers. I mean, that story. And, uh, I understand we have Professor Alan Dershowitz who's joining us right now. Uh, Professor Dershowitz, it's great to have you. You know, one of the things that's just so disgusting is what happened at Hillcrest High School in Queens. We had a teacher who was seen at a pro-Israel rally, and the next thing you know, there's this mob. It was a riot looking for the teacher. She was hiding from the students. I mean, where have we come? Well, every one of those students should be disciplined and suspended. We should know who they are. We should make sure that their names are public and that uh, if they apply to um, schools afterward. The schools have to know it. They have to be treated just the way the Ku Klux Klan uh, members would be treated if they supported uh, the raping uh, or the lynching of black people. You can't have a double standard here. And however we would treat people who are uh, racists on one side, you have to treat them if they're racists on the other side. And then, you know, here you have somebody who is put in danger. And, and as I've said before, Hamas is not going to stop in Gaza or in Israel. It's coming to a theater near you. We're going to see terrorism in the United States like we did in the 1970s. And a lot of these kids, college kids and high school kids, are going to join the terrorists the way they did in the 1970s. And we're all going to be at risk unless we take a tough, tough position uh, on this, and 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 I I hope we do. But, yep, uh, you know, Professor no Dershowitz, yeah, you wrote yeah. the, this great new book, uh, "War Against the Jews: How to End Hamas Barbarism." Um, boy, is yeah. it timely! And bravo to you yeah. for doing this. Thank what you. about uh, the fact that the U.S. Department of Education? Did you see they just opened an investigation of Harvard over anti-Semitism? Uh, well. I hope they will call me as a witness. I probably know more about anti-Semitism at Harvard than any living human being. I came there in 1964. Um, I learned that you couldn't be the president or dean at Harvard if you were Jewish, that there were, you know, residues, remnants of quota uh, systems. Um, And I have lived through 60 years of the history of anti-Semitism. I also wrote an article, a long article about quota systems at Harvard. So I'm hoping maybe the Department of Education will call me as a witness. I would be happy to testify against Harvard. 
Yeah, wow. Uh, uh, Judge Weinberg, you've got a question for Alan Dershowitz. Alan, I, I see that Senator Murphy of Connecticut is pushing an effort that to make funding for Israel in its own in defense from America with conditions. And the condition being, yeah. the condition being that they're supposed to abide by international law, which by the way, they, they were doing. And I see, uh, Senator Cardin, who's chairman of foreign relations, has pushed back on that. What are your thoughts? Well, some 20 some odd senators have signed on to the letter. Israel complies with international human rights law better than any country in modern history. Um, they make every possible effort to avoid civilian casualties. And it's deeply uh, ahistorical and insulting to uh, premise uh, aid to Israel on them not doing something they're not doing. Um, it sends a terrible message. Look, let's be clear. Hamas is playing the United States. Why do you think only that one little girl who's an American was released? They want to use the fact that Americans are still in prison as a way of, or still um, uh, as hostages, still uh, to um, pressure Israel to continue the, 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 the stall, continue the, the truce. And that's why they're not releasing Americans. And America has to be tougher, much tougher on Hamas, on Iran and Qatar and make sure that, first of all, the Americans get out and second of all, the others get out as well, because, you know, Israel can't delay forever. And then you have the White House spokesman today saying, well, maybe Israel shouldn't go into South um, Gaza. And if they do, they should be more targeted. Well, you know, when we went after Al Qaeda uh, in the United States, when we went after Afghanistan and others, many, many, many more civilians were killed. Israel does whatever it can. But, you know, it, the, the Hamas is responsible for all these deaths because they hide their combatants, they hide their tunnels, and they hide their rockets among civilians purposely in order to induce Israel to kill as many civilians as possible so they can show them to the New York Times. And the New York Times has this horrible front-page story yesterday, which was the worst piece of reporting I've seen in years, in which they say, well, you know, Israel kills a lot of civilians, and here's the figure Hamas gives, you know, 12,000, 15,000. Even Hamas doesn't distinguish in those figures between terrorists and combatants. For all we know, half the people or more could have been combatants. Even Hamas doesn't give those figures. But it does give figures for women as if all women are non-combatants. We know women have been used as suicide bombers. And children. Children can be 17 and a half years old as suicide bombers. Some of the people who went in to uh, Israel were women and, quote, children, 16, 17-year-old child, child soldiers. So the New York Times uh, plays the game, and Hamas continues to do these things because it knows it will get a positive story from the New York Times and therefore pressure on the United States to uh, put pressure on Israel. By the way, uh, did you see this, Professor Dershowitz? I, uh, there's a lot of headlines today about President Biden apologizing to Muslim groups because he was skeptical of the death count that Hamas provided. You can't make this up. That not that stunning? Like, in other words, I'm sorry that I questioned the terrorist group. I deeply apologize. Some Muslim groups were upset with him that he wasn't taking Hamas's word for it. That is yeah. astounding. It is astounding. He should have said to the Muslim groups, look, we don't we're not opposed to Muslims. We are opposed to Hamas. And you can't believe a word they say. And even Hamas 
um, you know, doesn't often stand by their figures. You know, they have they have increased the number of people killed during this pause. Nobody has been killed, but they, they, they have no concern for the numbers. And, you know, they're not the only organization that can't be trusted. Doctors Without Borders that everybody loves is a one-sided pro-Hamas organization. They are constantly reporting material favorable to the Hamas, and they have called for, yesterday on CNN, they called for a unilateral ceasefire by Israel, the end of all hostilities. Wait, unilateral? Just unilateral, oh, without a word just about Israel. Without a word about the hostages or about October 7th. So, so much for Doctors Without Borders. I call them Doctors Without Morality. By the way, a lot of the people in Doctors Without Borders are not doctors. They're political people who hide under the organization name. There are some doctors, obviously, but not all of them are. In fact, I think the spokesperson, it's, she certainly didn't have the name doctor in front of her. Well, what so about the we, UN? We the what thing. about the UN, Professor Dershowitz? I mean, my God, they, the, the head of the UN has been horrible. Am, what about Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch? Where, the same are, the, thing. where are the women's groups, yes, you guys? I mean, wouldn't you think with all these female hostages, where are they? Well, we know that Human Rights Watch has gotten a million dollars from the Qatari government. And so that should tell you something about their uh, bias. And so, you know, I would the only organization that the United that that Israel has to listen to, it doesn't have to listen to the U.N. It doesn't have to listen to Doctors Without Borders or any of those organizations. It has to listen to the United States because the United States can condition aid. And when you get 20 some odd Democrats saying that the United States should condition aid, it sends a message to Hamas. Your plans are working. Your terrorism is working. We're supporting it. And we, you know, we, we're saying and doing things that will encourage you to commit more acts of terrorism. And that's what's wrong with this policy. Well, you keep us posted. You keep up the good Thank fight, you. Professor Dershowitz. Again, uh, your new book, uh, which is so timely, War Against the Jews. Thank you so much for being here. We love having you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and now we have, uh, who do we have? Andrew Ryan, uh, Citizens Budget Commission. Uh, we called Andrew today because we don't know what the heck is going on. What is the real numbers? Andrew Ryan, you're in charge of the Citizens Budget Commission. What is the real numbers? Are we how far underwater are we? Uh, are we cutting the cops or not cutting the cops? Uh, tell the tell all citizens the truth. So thanks for thanks for having me. And yes, we try to get down to the bottom of the numbers because at least we should be having an honest conversation. And the honest conversation is that New York City's fiscal problems are huge. They are. A little under or a little around half due to the migrant crisis, but half of our own making over years. Think about it. Over the last seven years, we have increased spending. The city funded portion, you know, the, com- the, the amount that comes directly out of our tax dollars. We increased over seven years $30 billion or 36% between 2017 and 2024. We've increased programs. We signed labor contracts. Listen, reasonable raises, but without a plan to pay for them, without any concessions of work rules, changes of work rules and job titles to figure out how to run efficiently. So that drives up a budget gap next year, you know, the one that the mayor has to propose in two months, that on paper is $7.1 billion. So that's pretty big, no matter how you slice it. But that's only part and, of the story. And a half of 500,000 people have moved out of New York? 
We had around 400,000 during the pandemic leave New York, and there's questions about some of these data. But around 400,000, some of them have returned, but by and large, they have they have not. Now there's always people coming and going, but our population loss, which frankly started in 2017, accelerated during the pandemic. We've seen a little return. Is one of the biggest threats to New York. You cannot have a future of a prosperous city if people don't live here. And frankly, it's crossed economic lines. It's crossed demographic lines. New York is being a challenge. So we have this budget gap now on paper, $7.1 billion. But when you add up you know, other problems that are kind of hidden, we actually grew programs because with COVID aid, which goes away soon, and with the Wall Street boom years of 21, we increased another two and a half billion dollars of programs that are going to the funding of which disappears and we under budgeted another 1.1 billion. So what the mayor is confronting next year on paper is 7.1 billion, but really it might be as large as 10 and a half billion dollars. And that's a lot. He's starting to confront it, but it is a challenge. Uh, and, uh, well, we got three, 400, 500,000. I heard in some places are left. But their apartments might still be here, some of them, because they want to come back someday, but maybe they're out of town for 181 or 186 days a year. Um, the, the migrant crisis, how bad is it? How much is it really costing? And the, the, the other thing, the other crisis is the crime crisis. I know I was on Fox today talking about it, uh, is how bad is the crime the police are not really making arrests. So when politicians walk around saying crime is down, that's not true. So let's start with the migrant crisis. The migrant crisis is real. We've had over 120,000 people come into New York City. There's always some, but we've had over 120,000 in the last year and a half. 65,000 are still in the city's care. We're t- we're talking for the current year, the mayor projects the spending will be $4.7 billion. And, you know, states chipped in a, bil- a billion, feds have chipped in $145 million, but it's really been on the city. And that's their projection for the current year. Their proje- city's projection goes next year to $6.1 billion, with, you know, with the state, you know, chipping in some. But here, there's been some questions about those numbers. And it is is pretty hard to predict both the number of people and trying to constrain how much we're spending on these people because there is a wide suite of services. In fact, in the mayor's last directive to save money, he said, we need to bring down those costs 20%. He's right, because if we're going to be shaving the budget in different places and there are efficiencies, we can find there are ways to protect services. But if we're going to do that, we have to include what we're spending on the migrants. But the bottom line is, even if the numbers come down, and even if the feds pick up more, more of a share, which they should, we still have a fiscal problem to contend with. And some people are saying, oh, well, we don't know about the mayor's migrant numbers. And listen, I think they're a good starting place. We don't know exact. But some people are saying, there, since we don't know all the details of that, there is no fiscal problem. That is not the truth. There's a fiscal problem of our own making, which is already huge, exacerbated, maybe even doubled by the migrant crisis. Andrew, it's Richard Weinberg. As, as you know, under the New York City Charter, the obligation is to have a balanced budget. You cannot deficit spend as a city. Correct, correct, which is why um, which is why we have some reserves, but which is why the mayor is saying, and he's right, that we should be doing multiple rounds of savings. The question is, 
Are we, do we have the capacity to do them right? Are we doing them right? The first round has been proposed and we're combing through it. Listen, there's still some low-hanging fruit. There are vacant positions. We need to hire in some places, but other places it's okay. So we're reducing vacant positions. There's also seats for early childhood education. Now, some are saying, oh, those seats should be filled. But the truth is those seats aren't filled now. And the mayor is saying, why budget for seats that kids aren't in? Let's budget for kids when they're in seats. So there is some, still some low-hanging fruit, but we're starting to hit into services. And as, um, as you mentioned, um, the, we're talking about um, eliminating five police classes and letting the police officers a trip down. The question on that very specifically is, can we still protect the public with a reduced force? And one of the keys to this, and the mayor has spoken at times about this, but not recently um, that I've heard, is are there still officers doing civilian jobs like we've seen in the old days and at times? Can we get them from behind desks to actually preventing and reducing crime? That is going to be one of the keys to success if that actually comes to fruition. Somebody out there has to be tough, and the mayor has to take a tough attitude at it. Uh, two uh, more questions. Uh, the MTA, uh, the, the fair jumping is more than ever. And they, they're looking for congestion pricing to put another nail in the coffin for Manhattan uh, to, to make up that fair uh, jumping. I mean, and, and crazy. Well, well what's the fair jumping, um, fair beating, because it's not just jumping. People, are, it's a lot on buses, and people are walking through the um, security gates. The reality is, it increased from two hundred million, roughly two hundred million a year before the pandemic, to it's over seven hundred million now. That's a five hundred million dollar hit. Now the MTA is taking some steps. We hope they're successful. We're still concerned, especially on the buses, which are very hard um, to do. But this is literally, we're losing the same amount of money as two rounds of fare increases. The MTA is attacking this. We need them to be successful. And people who are thinking that they shouldn't be attacking this are wrong. Listen, we have a fair fares program for low-income people because it is an affordability challenge for some. We need to make sure that program works, but we, everyone has to be paying their share for all different services, especially for the MTA. Now, congestion pricing is a different part of the budget. It's for the capital infrastructure. And listen, the MTA, everyone knows, has huge capital needs. They put out a needs assessment, which is um, – Stunning when you look at some of the challenges of, of the system, whether it be rolling stock tracks or even the, the yards where people don't look, which is usually the stuff that people don't, it's not sexy, people don't pay attention to. The NTA has real capital needs, and the future of New York depends on making sure that that infrastructure is in a state of good repair or we'll see breakdowns and then we'll all be shot because we can't get to work and can't live our lives. Andrew, we have to take a hard break, but this deserves more attention. This, this deserves more uh, discussion, and I look forward to talking to you more. Thank you very much. I look forward to it. Thank you. Let's take that break, and when we come back, uh, we had the Attorney General of Virginia stop by, and uh, we're going to give you a two- or three-minute tidbit, and the rest of the year we're playing the Cats Roundtable on Sunday.
Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back. We can't forget about uh, the great Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman, who joins us I now. I apologize, Bruce. I, uh, I almost forgot you. How could I forget Bruce Blakeman? You're saving the best uh, for this break here, for this moment. You're working up to it, Bruce. That's a good lead-in. Um, and by the way, you are taking the fight to Hofstra. Talk about this, because uh, the president there made some statements that I think a lot of people raised eyebrows. Hofstra put Jefferson's uh, statue in the basement? Where, where, where did it go? Yeah. And it, it looks like she almost put uh, Israel in the basement, too. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you very much. Um, Susan Poser, who is the president of Hofstra University, uh, put out a letter to the Hofstra community that I found to be despicable. Uh, basically, she was drawing a moral equivalency uh, between contested territorial borders and baby killers, rapists child kidnappers. Uh, I found her statement to be outrageous, and I thought it was incredibly important to speak out against that because this is someone who's educating our children. And if that's the kind of education that they are receiving, uh, I think that that is a real detriment, and I'm going to speak out against it because I have found her uh, to be totally off base uh, with her observations and uh, basically endorsing uh, pushing a political agenda with rape and murder and kidnapping, uh, I think, is something that needs to be addressed very, very forcefully. So what happened with the, with the statue? Yeah, I mean, that's another thing, uh, the cancel culture taking down the statute of Thomas Jefferson, um, you know, I, I'm against that. I think that basically history is the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we can debate history. We can talk about history, uh, and we should have those debates and discussions, but the cancel culture to me is just a, an insidious way to try and devalue the history of America I think that's going on on our campuses all across the country, and unfortunately it's happening here at Hofstra University. And I, I believe that their activities are anti-American, and uh, they're wrong, and I think they should be addressed very, very forcefully by all our public officials. Bruce, this is Craig Eaton. You know what? It, it's funny because nobody, especially not educators, should in any way condone the actions of Hamas. You know, history shows that there were territorial issues going back hundreds of years there. But this is not what's facing us now. It's the Hamas people. The Hamas came out and beheaded children, raped women, and murdered people in front of their families. I mean, it's so despicable. Not any one person should ever condone that in any way. Well, thank you, Craig. And that's exactly the point. 
Uh, does that mean that any group that wants to push a political agenda uh, can engage in rape, kidnapping, yeah. and beheading babies? I, I mean, this is so... Um, it's horrendous. It, it it's demonstrates horrendous. That yeah. a lack of moral compass. That's what it does. And how can we have a president of a university who has no moral compass lead our young people? Um, so I'm going to speak up about that. I'm, I've demanded her resignation. And uh, I think that uh, the university would be wise to part ways with Dr. Poser. Uh, real Great quick, what's been job. the reaction uh, from other people? And, and what the heck is going on in these school systems? Like you talked about, you know, you brought up the Jefferson statue. We, Craig just talked about, um, you know, the sort of moral equivalency. It seems like it's like, what is this culture that's going on in our community? Well, the biggest applause line I get is when I go to the Knights of Columbus and I say, as long as I'm county executive, we will never take down a statue of Christopher Columbus because people appreciate the fact that here in Nassau County, we are not slaves to the woke culture that demands that everything be according to their dialogue and their agenda. And we need to stand up against that and be very, very vocal. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman, thank you very much. Keep, keep us your, posted. Keep your eyes open, Bruce, and uh, we want Nassau County and we want Suffolk County to be the way we grew up and, uh, and you know, law and order and uh, and common sense. Thank you so much. And American values. Thank and American you so much. values. Thank keep you us so posted. Much. Thanks, Let's Bruce. take a break right now. And when we come back, what do we have? We're going to be talking to one of the individuals. He's a Marine. He was held hostage for 444 days, one of the famous ones that was paraded all over Tehran years ago. What are the hostages that are still being held by Hamas going through now? And we're also going to be talking with General Jack Keane. And also Greg Jarrett has some big news on Hunter Biden. Stay tuned. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back. Well, just a little bit ago, Hamas released 12 hostages. Ten were Israelis, no Americans, in the latest batch. What are the hostages going through? Well, joining us now on Katz and Cosby is somebody who unfortunately knows all too well. Over 444 days, he and his fellow hostages endured torture and so much more in Tehran, Iran. Uh, he was one of the Marines there who was part of the embassy security group. And joining us now is Marine Sergeant Rocky Sickman. Rocky, uh, wow, what you went through, um, and, and I remember seeing the images of you and the other hostages. When you see what's going on right now, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, number one, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's uh, as you listen that uh, you hear that some of the hostages are, are being let go. We as the hostages, uh, myself, did not know for 444 days. We started with 66. By the time we were released in January 20th, 1981, and they were putting us on an airplane, we were looking around saying, hey, where's everybody else? And they said, no, the others were let go a year earlier. So the good thing is other people were let go earlier. You just didn't know what was happening because you were locked in a room for 400 days, uh, tied to the uh, tied for the first 30 days. So it's uh, it's one of those things that uh, your listeners that are out there, 
um, if anyone has gone through a traumatic time in their life, they will not forget that traumatic time. These individuals, we live in a wonderful country, you guys, and it's freedom is everything. And once it's been stripped from you, um, there's nothing like it to get it back again and, and be able to enjoy it and enjoy it. I do each and every day. Yeah. Wow. That well said, you know, you know, Rocky, how also when you watch this too, um, and, and obviously you're a military guy, the one issue obviously is with now it's like 10 hostages a day. And one day Hamas delayed it. They delayed it a little bit today. They finally released some, but it's this sort of buying for time. They're getting the ceasefire. How complicated does it get it also from a military perspective? Obviously, we want all the hostages out. My goodness. And and those scenes are tearjerkers. I cry every time I see these people getting released. It's beautiful. But how complex is it, this sort of game when you're dealing with terrorists and, and you were dealing there uh, with the head of the snake or on? No, you're absolutely right. It is. Uh, I always said that Iran uh, for 44 years, I, I'm a true believer. A Muslim is not born with hatred. They're taught hatred. And the Islamic Republic of Iran started April 1st, 1979, and they have been going on for 44 years of just hatred. And, you know, they are the head of the octopus. Hamas and Hezbollah are the uh, followers, the arms of it. And, you know, that's their key is to scare, uh, provide tactics of this, uh, you know, to remove our freedom. They hate our, our country. And so my concern is that they... They, the radical Islamic Republic of Iran, have uh, infiltrated our society. And it hurts me. It breaks my heart to see people demonstrating here. Demonstrating is good in the United States of America. But once you become violent, that's that's what happens in the Middle East, not here in the United States. Or tearing down those hostage posters. I mean, that that to me is shameful. You know, and I've seen some of these people, some of these young kids who I wonder if they even understand how sick that is, that they're tearing down some of the hostages and we're still waiting for their release. And how things have changed. 44 years ago, uh, I had no idea that Nightline was created to, to try to bring us all home. Everybody was behind us. There wasn't any of this happening 44 years ago. And now you look 44 years later, here, I mean, people went and pray for peace and bringing these people home, and people are ripping stuff down. It's like people are applauding that hostages have been taken. But that's their, that's their way of tactics. They want to um, basically uh, scare everybody. And we, as the United States of America, cannot bend down to the Islamic Republic of Iran, uh, their hatred uh, and just their, their evilness. And so it is it's very concerning. And my poor parents, what they went through for 444 days, it's those parents that are out there waiting for their loved ones. It's something that uh, you pray and you hope and you cry that you have another opportunity. And each day I wake up, I earn my, my day in memory of the eight individuals that lost their life on an attempted rescue operation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I work now for Folds of Honor that provide scholarships and that scholarships to these young children that their parent never came home. And so that is my way of giving back and and being able to to continue to live each day and providing that support to our our military and our first responders. Well, Rocky, uh, they're such a great organization. I love Folds of Honor. They're so wonderful. And bravo. Thank you for sharing this story. 
and uh, reminding uh, just all of us how great our country is, too. Thank you. And thank goodness you got out and you're sharing the stories now. Rocky, thank you. No, thank you so much. And again, we want to remind everybody freedom is not free and take uh, don't take it for to granted. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Rocky. Thank you. And now we have uh, General Jack Keane. And uh, so many things are happening in, in Ukraine, in Israel. Uh, General Jack Keane, uh, tell us, what the heck is the truth? I mean, I, I don't think, do the American people really know the truth of what's happening? Uh, I know we, we, we talked uh, this morning on on uh, uh, things going on, Biden, President Biden and uh, and Germany uh, forcing uh, the Ukraine to, to, to have discussions with Putin. What what do you hear? Uh, well, when it comes to Ukraine, uh, certainly the, the Ukrainians were not able to accomplish the ground offensive and seize all the terrain that they wanted, and it, that was largely due uh, to the – they knew what to do in terms of adoption, but they just did not have the appropriate resources. They had no air power. They had no air defense systems at all to protect them from uh, Russian uh, air power attacks. And then they never got all the tanks they needed, nor the uh, the special engineer equipment to get them through the minefields, which were f- far more challenging than anybody uh, had expected. So that is, is really the problem that uh, the Ukrainians had. And I think they decided to go away, go ahead with the operation anyway, despite the expect because there was such high expectations about it. And, they, and I assume that they thought they'd be able to make a little bit more progress than what they did. So what we have to do here, John, is get them the equipment they really need and get it to them as soon as possible. And that is not what has been happening. That's number one. Uh, number two is, yes, uh, the Biden administration, for what I understand, as we go into 2024, uh, really wants to push for some kind of negotiations. I don't think they've said that publicly, but I think it has been a backdrop for it, for them for the last 22 months. And I, I don't see Ukraine wanting any part of that. And the reason is simple. Russia owns part of the Donbass region where there's hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians under the boot of the Russians, and they own Crimea. Uh, where there's millions of uh, Ukrainians under the boot of the Russians. And Zelensky wants to get all of that back. And I think we should support him and give him his head in trying to do that. Isn't this, though, um, General Jack Keenan, by the way, I'm jealous because I didn't get invited to breakfast. But but we'll, we'll, I won't hold that against you, General, okay? Um, but <laughs> but uh, I wanted to find, what do you, is this sort of the policy of, you know, of Biden, it's the sort of drip drip that he did in Ukraine. And we're seeing a little bit of this back and forth with Israel, too. Yeah, well, I mean, right from the outset, I, I, you know, you had the rhetoric saying uh, strong support for Ukraine. Uh, but the actions were not quite the, matching the rhetoric. They, they never gave them the, the advanced weapons that they needed when they needed it. They eventually got some of these weapon systems, but they were far too uh, slow in coming. And the, one of the reasons for it, uh, Rita, is that they believed that Russia would escalate if they gave them those advanced weapons 
And there is no, for 22 months, there's no evidence of that. I think that's a hollow argument. And to continue to, to handcuff the Ukrainians like this really makes no sense. I came back a couple of weeks ago from being in Ukraine, met with all the senior people. And in the publicly, they're not going to criticize the president because this is the hand that's feeding them and they don't want to bite them. But at the same time, they really want all the support as soon as, as, soon as possible. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it, it's just, I can't imagine what, what it's like as they're waiting here, too. And then, you know, there was a story that came out recently that, like, Putin is trying to wrap it up, like he's trying to be the peace broker. How much do you think he's also trying to take advantage of all of our focus now, so much of our focus on everything that's happening with Israel? We've got our, air, you know, aircraft carriers and all that. Is this now his opportunity, him and also China? I think about so many people taking advantage of this moment. Putin has never given up on the aspirational goal to take control of Ukraine. And he sees if he can get to some kind of prolonged ceasefire, that benefits him. He has more people than the Ukrainians have by a huge fact, 150 million people versus 40. So he can continue to pour in people in a way that the Ukrainians cannot. He's gone to a war footing economy. And that is, he's prioritizing military equipment so much so that factories that were producing commercial products are now going to produce military equipment. Something we did on a very large scale, as you know, during World War II. But this shows his commitment. He is still wanting to take control of Ukraine and he is about that business, and we cannot be fooled by the fact that he wants to go to a ceasefire of negotiations. That's just a step in the direction of taking over Ukraine. Yeah, no doubt. Well, General Jackine, thank you so much. It's great to have you on. Look forward to having you back on and keep us posted because we cannot uh, lose sight of what's happening over there. It's so important. Great talking to you, Rita and John also. Thank you. Thank you so much. And John, Let's take a break. Yeah. By the way, when we come back, big news on Hunter Biden. Stay with us. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. Well, we interviewed uh, the Attorney General of Virginia, yeah, John. Yeah, he stopped by uh, this afternoon. And uh, we got a two-minute tidbit. Let's do, let's go to that two-minute tidbit. And uh, we'll come back. We're going to go to Greg Jarrett after that. And you can what, hear the rest of the interview uh, on the Cats Roundtable on Sunday. What can be done to clamp down on where, in some cases, some of these protests are getting violent? Uh, we've seen them even burning the American flag. And one of the things I know uh, you talked about with us, too, was also – going after some of these groups that are potentially funding Hamas through Palestinian right. groups. Uh, what's the status on both of those? Well, I, you know, I would say the first thing to do is uh, you have to reject apathy. Um, I think to realize, I do think there's a silent majority in America that oftentimes gets so disgusted by politics, they stay home, and the world is run by those that show up. So I think it's the first thing is to reject apathy. I think we saw that shift in... In Virginia, but I think, particularly on our college campuses, it requires real moral clarity and leadership from our college presidents. So that's one thing we've been encouraging. And in Virginia, our board of trustees, our board uh, that, that that governs our universities, is our board of visitors. 
and uh, those are appointed by the governor. That's uh, a rolling employer appointment. So most of our universities, at least in Virginia, will have majority control by Yunkin appointees in July of next year. That's going to be seismic because I think for too long you've seen in higher ed a lack of accountability. Um, yes, uh, one of my roles is, as attorney general is overseeing charities, and so we're looking into and We have an active investigation to a charity in Virginia, American Muslims for Palestine. It's based in northern Virginia, right outside D.C. Uh, the allegations is that they have uh, two allegations that we are currently tracking down. One, they were not properly registered in Virginia as required by law, but the bigger uh, allegation and investigation is whether they were improperly uh, funneling money to designated terrorist organizations because we have a, a clear, explicit law in Virginia that a charity cannot solicit funds and then donate money. We know that Hamas is a, a for example, a designated terrorist group, not just by the United States, but the European Union. So um, those are measured twice, cut once investigations, um, and there'll be more information coming as we're ready to release that. But we're kind of the opposite of the Merrick Garland Justice Department where they leak everything, uh, that is not how we do we do things. We're very thorough how we do, um, and so we're very very proud of the team that we're that that's conducting the investigation. And of course, the rest of the interview on Cats Roundtable on Sunday. Well, another big story is that Hunter Biden is now saying he's willing to testify publicly. Wow, wow, wow. Well, joining us is Greg Jarrett. He is, of course, the great Fox News legal analyst, author of the book, The Constitution of the United States. And uh, Greg Jarrett, uh, Hunter Biden says he's willing to testify before the House Oversight Committee, wants it to be public. Uh, Comer says, uh-uh, uh, that's not the way the rules are. Your thoughts? Yeah, Hunter doesn't have a choice. A subpoena is in order. The law compels you to comply. You don't get to dictate the terms. But, you know, Hunter thinks he's above the law and special. So he's trying to avoid the subpoena deposition where penetrating questions by smart investigators would actually confront him with the truth of his corrupt, influence peddling schemes. You know, financial records don't lie. And the committee has amassed volumes of incriminating evidence of bribery, money laundering, tax fraud, foreign lobbying crimes. And of course, if Hunter lies under oath, that's additional crimes. So, you know, instead, he is demanding a public hearing where he knows that tough questions are rare because members grandstand with speeches. And he wants the usual Biden toadies like Jamie Raskin and Dan Goldman to portray him as a poor victim of drug addiction who should be forgiven uh, of all his sins. Well, I got news for him. Addiction is not an excuse under the law. And so the committee is absolutely right to reject Hunter's demands. And everybody, we are talking to Fox News legal analyst Greg Jarrett. Uh, Judge Weinberg, you got a question for Greg? Greg, I... I agree with you. That's the that's the gambit. But I also was question Abby Lowe, who's a pretty good lawyer. They tell me that uh, he wanted to give a public forum. You know, you have a good cross examiner. Yes, you're going to have the Biden toadies doing their thing, but you also have some sharp people on the committee, including the chairman, who could also go directly using the documents directly against Hunter Biden. So there's some real exposure there too. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right. The advantage of a deposition is there's less preening and grandstanding in front of cameras, especially uh, by the defenders, the Democrats. And also, 
committee investigators who are not members, they're not House members, who are steeped in all the minutiae of these financial records, they get to ask the most important questions of all. Of course, the problem here is that only Joe Biden's own Department of Justice can enforce the subpoena against Hunter if he resists. And, you know, will Joe Biden allow that? Uh, no, not under Merrick Garland, who's been running a protection racket for the Biden family. That won't happen. Where do you see, by the way, the whole thing going, uh, Greg, with um, the House Oversight Committee? Because we know that Comer also says that they've been trying to get uh, Comer and Jordan. They've all been trying to get access to these the uh, the fake names. You know how we how Joe Biden used the pseudonyms, but the fake names for his accounts. He used all these emails. There's like eighty two thousand of them. It's not like one or two. And apparently, the White House is stonewalling. Where is that going to go? Because boy, that's really fishy. Well. That is an issue that I suspect uh, will receive nothing but resistance from the White House and the departments that have the archives that have those pseudonym emails. Your larger question, though, is an important one. Is there enough evidence for this committee to move toward impeachment? Yes. Should Republicans impeach is a different calculation. It is, in my judgment, a political weapon that can easily backfire, especially when it's brought in the middle of a presidential election by an opposing party. The public will see it as election interference. So I think Republicans are better off continuing to gather the incriminating evidence, simply present it to the voters without impeachment. You know, the solution to our problems can always be found at the ballot box. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Well, maybe you need to tell all those judges that are going after Trump uh, the same thing, you know. <laughs> they, they tend not to listen to me, but they should. <laughs> they should, yes. Uh, and Craig Eaton has a question. Craig, just one question. I mean, you know what? They should not give in to him. There shouldn't be a public hearing. They should subpoena him. If he doesn't show up, hold him in contempt of and Congress. Hunter Biden. I mean, enough is enough. You know, I mean, he can delay all he wants, but he's not the one that makes the rules here. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly, uh, but again... You know, the committee can't enforce their own subpoena. They can hold Hunter Biden in contempt, but then it's up to Merrick Garland, the DOJ. And there's nothing in that we've seen of Merrick Garland to indicate that he would ever enforce the subpoena the way he did against people connected to Trump. Yeah, that's true. Talk about double standards. Disgrace. What a Greg Jarrett, thank you so much for yeah, coming Greg, on the show. Yeah, thank you. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, and the American way. way. God bless America.